Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Tanking. Nothing personal. Word of the day for March 15th, 2022 is tanking, which is a concept in baseball that was talked about throughout the collective bargaining agreement. And everyone said, that is our main focus. All those players on the executive council pretending they wanted to get more money to younger players and address competitive integrity and stop the tank. And then they said, oh, well, as long as we get a higher CBT level and my clients, Scott Boris said, and my clients get paid more money, then if there's tanking, there's tanking. But I don't think there's going to be tanking because we now have a draft lottery. That's what they pitched to you, the fans. Your favorite team is going to go for it. There's going to be expanded playoffs. More teams are going to be in it. More money is going to be spent by teams at the lower end, I promise, because getting the number one pick is not a guarantee because we've got a lottery. Yippee-ki-yay, mofo. A lottery, I told you, has nothing to do with the front office strategy. There is zero change in how teams are going to be operated. There was an article written by the great Jason Stark. If you don't have The Athletic, you should. He wrote an article after the agreement was signed last week or whenever it was signed already time is standing still in the baseball world talking about all the parts of the agreement and what the practical impact will be on how teams are operated i want to focus on tanking i want to remind you what rob manford the commissioner said during the course of the negotiation when he said no matter when this ends there will be teams who will not be able to have the type of team that the fans will want. And I'm paraphrasing, but he was foretelling the reality of running a team. And here's the reality. I'm going to give you three things to think about that I've told you over the course of 555 episodes. Lucky episode 555 today. That's not counting sit-downs and bonuses, etc. When you are putting a team together, the smartest teams recognize when they can win and when they can't. The smartest teams trade players a year too early instead of a year too late. The smartest teams don't react to PR. The smartest teams don't react to fan desire because the soonest you listen to fans, the fastest you will be sitting amongst them. Thank you, Jim Beatty. A lot of things happened yesterday in baseball that made fans clamor, cry, and cringe. It made some of the liberals in social media, I don't know if they're liberals, it made some of the people, some of the baseball writers, some of the sort of, 
I don't want to call people gas bags, although I have before. Just people who try to get attention by saying, oh, rich owners, if you can't afford to sign a player, then sell your team. If you can't afford to keep your team together, sell your team. If you can't afford to keep your free agents, sell your team. You're blowing into the wind, Bob Dylan. So yesterday, the Cincinnati Reds made a trade with the Seattle Mariners. The Seattle Mariners, who have not been in the playoffs, they have the longest stretch of any of the four major sports of no playoff appearances. Thank God for the 31-29 and 60-game season where he had a few playoff teams. Yes, I'm talking about my team. The Reds, since last year, have let a pitcher go, Wade Miley, for $10 million. They've traded away Sonny Gray, one of their top pitchers. They just traded away their all-star, Winker, Jesse Winker. They dumped the money of... Suarez, who's got three years left, $11 million a year. None of it matters. What I'm trying to tell all of you Cincinnati fans is that when the Reds looked at their team, they said that we won 97 games a long time ago, right after we signed Joey Votto to a 10-year. You know what, Coca, sidebar. Can we go back to 2012, the year Marlins Park opened? In 2012... That off season, which would be the season of 2011, we were so excited to sign the free agents we signed. Everything was looking up, starting in a new ballpark, new manager, new closer, new shortstop, new third baseman. Well, new third baseman was the old shortstop. Great starting pitcher, my erstwhile friend, Mark Burley. Everything looking amazing for the Marlins, and it didn't work. The reason it didn't work is that we didn't win games, and it caused us as a small revenue team, low revenue team, even in the new ballpark, because yes, we had more ticket revenue, but yes, we had operational expenses. We were running the ballpark, and we were paying debt service on the money we borrowed to build the ballpark. Oh my God, if you can't afford to put your own cash out of your checking account to build a ballpark, then sell your team. Still waiting for an owner to do that. I think the Buffalo Bills are putting all of their own money into their new ballpark, into their new stadium in Buffalo. I think they're putting like a billion dollars of their own money. Oh, no. I got that wrong. They're putting a billion dollars of taxpayer money into the ballpark. So everything's looking great. You sign deals. I remember those press conferences like they were yesterday. You stand up there and you're beaming. You're on top of the world. You've won the offseason. You feel like you're finally get a foothold. You're going to win another World Series or at least compete for one. You're going to have sustained winning. That's the code word that we were all taught to use in Baseball Front Office 101. Pay attention to the way owners talk. It's funny. Presidents. Sustainability. We don't want to win one year and lose one year. We want to win every year. Do you know why 30 teams can't win every year? Hurry up. This is not a test. Do you know the answer? Half the owners telling you they want to win every year are telling you the truth. The other half are dreaming. They're all hoping, but half of them are going to be wrong. And then you're going to look back on it and say, man, you stink. Sell your team. You didn't hear that, did you? Did you just hear the grumbling in my tumbly, Coca? I've been running earlier in the morning and then still not eating before doing the show because this whole daylight savings time, maybe one day someone can explain to me the merits of changing the clock twice in a year because I've got a big clock sidebar on the above like a ladder, like 
12 feet in the air, 15 feet in the air, doesn't matter that you're my size. You could be minute bull and you'd need a ladder to change this clock. And I haven't yet devised a system that sometimes on Survivor where you have to put sticks together by string and get a key. I have not been able to figure out how to turn the clock without schlepping the ladder inside, standing on the ladder, putting the clock around. Meanwhile, I have somebody help me do that. I don't want to fall off a ladder. I'm 54. When you're 54, you fall off a ladder, you're going to break a hip. You're going to be in a hospital for like six weeks. I need some strapping young man to come help me. Or it could be a young woman. doesn't matter. I have no idea why I was talking about daylights. Oh, because my stomach was grumbling because I'm a little hungry. Because I finished running, and then I was running late, so I had to get in the shower while still sweating, which sucks for all of you who work out. You know you've got to stop sweating before you get in the shower, because if you don't, then you're going to be sweating when you get out of the shower, and then you just feel as dirty as you did when you got in the shower, and you say, all right, let me take a minute, but I don't have a minute because i got to do a show because I want to do a show because we're here to do a show every day. So my stomach is grumbling, and these are great microphones from Paramount+. Plus. So the thought was, maybe you heard it. Although Coca is so pissed right now. He's like, it's the first, he just yelled, it's the first segment, get back to tanking. No, I want to get back to 2012. Everything's excited. Then the season ends and we have to trade everyone. And I see that the Cincinnati Reds are signing, who is at that time one of the best players in the game, a guy named Joey Votto. And they signed Joey Votto to a 10-year, $225 million deal. And the reason that was noteworthy to me back at that time is we had offered Pujols at that time a 10-year, $201 million deal. And he ended up signing a 10-year deal with the Anaheim Angels of Anaheim. And he got like $240 million. So Votto who at that time was not better than Pujols, but was going to be over a 10-year period, got 10 years, 225. I knew that we were looking at what we were going to have to do for Stanton to sign him. And I remember thinking to myself, 10 years of Votto, that's an extension. The, they're signing him at the high because the Reds have just won 90 games or 95 games back then. But they're going to be paying him through 2023. Jeez, in 2023, I'm going to be 55 years old. Okay, Jeffrey's going to be in his 80s. Oh, my God. Burley, Hill, all these guys will be gone from our team. Hanley will probably be retired. Who's going to be in I remember having all these thoughts. Yet, when Joey Votto signs the deal, it is a huge thing in Cincinnati. And I don't blame fans in Cincinnati or in any market because that is the best of times, right? When you sign your guy, you're keeping your player but what you don't know is in the front office, when you are one of 25 teams in Major League Baseball not named Cubs, Red Sox, Dodgers, Mets, Yankees, you are shaking in your britches. And the reason you're shaking in your britches is because you know that there's going to be a due date. And a due date is when the moment of pleasure that you feel turns into the type of pain that you would do anything in your power to avoid as the president of a major league baseball team. You know it as guaranteed as the sun rising in the east. Because when you sign a player to a contract like that, there are going to be years where that player will not be worth the money. And you are hoping that your payroll will grow because if that player represents too much of your payroll, you are guaranteed not to win. Remember I told you the 25% story? 
Pudge Rodriguez was 25% of our World Series winning roster in 2003 at $10 million. I think our payroll was around 40. There's the math. And my view was that when we signed a player like a Stanton, we had to guarantee that Stanton would never represent more than 25% of the payroll. So at his height, he was going to be at 30, let's say $31 million. We needed to have a payroll of $125 million. And that would be the lowest we could go and hope to compete. It is not like basketball. You cannot have a big one, a big two, a big three, and win a World Series ring. N-G-T-H. But you don't worry because when you sign deals like that, you back end them because you sign it to players who are relatively young, so you're paying them much less in the early years, or you sign a free agent and you backload it because you say, hey, we want to build with you. We want to build around you. We want to stock up now. We'll worry about later, later. And deep down during that press conference, when all the accolades are coming, you're saying to yourself, this has a real opportunity to not work. But today, we prevail. Today, we are popular. Today, we sell tickets, sponsorship sales. Today, the value of our team goes up. Tomorrow is tomorrow. Tomorrow always comes. The Cincinnati Reds have not been good since Joey Votto signed that. They were good in 12 and 13. Now you're going to point out, and I don't mind if you do, I really don't, that they went 31 and 29 and made the playoffs last year in 2020. All right, so did the Marlins. It counts as the playoffs. I agree with you. It was 60 games. Side note, teams did not pay attention. Not one front office paid attention to performance in 2020. If a player were bad in 20, it's an anomaly. If a player had been outstanding in 20, prove it to me again. We're going to get to that in the next topic or later on in the next topic, maybe three topics from now. Last year, the Reds signed a bunch of players a couple years ago. Remember, they brought in Castellanos, Moustakis. They had Vado. They had pitching. They got Luis Castillo from us, and he was cheap. Everyone was super excited. The Reds were doing great, but it didn't work. So the Reds had no choice but to rebuild, and that's what they're doing. Joey Votto is currently 32% of the Reds' payroll, and they have no chance to win with a payroll at that level. But Bob Castellini, the owner of the Reds, is not going to permit a payroll that is any higher because the Reds don't make money. Do you hear me, Jeff? The Reds don't make money. Take a look at Great American Ballpark, and you'll say, no, get a better team, and then more people will come. Nope, not going to work that way. Take a look at the Reds naming rights deal. Take a look at the Reds TV deal. And then people say, but wait, David, what about all the revenue sharing? What about all that great new broadcast money? And I say to you, it's all baked into the projections. Revenue sharing was not as anticipated these last few years because of the pandemic. And that is in the three to five year budget that all teams carry with them in their black bags, in their briefcases, on their smart devices. So for those who thought that tanking would go away with the new CBA, are you now convinced? When you see the A's trading away the players, which they told you they would, it's what they do. Why? They don't have a new ballpark yet. They've got a very wealthy owner. All the owners are, owners are wealthy. Does that mean that they're supposed to lose money? Does that mean they're supposed to take money from other operations and put it into a team, knowing that they're losing money and unlikely to win? 
You think the Reds tried to trade Joey Votto? One of the problems with giving a no-trade clause is it's very hard to trade a guy because they have family and they've set up and they're okay. They're good. Not all players want to go somewhere to guarantee winning. They're comfortable. They've got a family life. They're rich and they're good. And you know what? Good for them. That's why I don't like no-trade clauses. So here's how I see this going forward. Major League Baseball Players Association is going to wake up next year with four years left in the CBA. And they're going to realize that one of the major goals they had isn't happening. They're going to realize that there's still teams who, in their opinion, have payrolls that are way too low. Teams are butting up against the CBT but not going over it. The Mets are the outlier for getting to $290 million if they get there this year, which I think they will. And all of the incremental gains that the players thought they got and all of the fighting over a 99-day lockout and all of the celebration that Bruce Meyer did and all of the factual statements that I made that as a small market team, I don't like this CBA. They're going to wake up in a year and realize that yes, they made progress in the minimum salary. Yes, they got the CBT levels raised and they could spin it by saying it was raised at a higher percentage than any other previous agreement since the CBT came into play. But that the ultimate goal of helping teams at the bottom compete and trying to dive into the payroll disparity, they got it wrong. The owner's gonna wake up a year from now and realize that the CBA has not helped them either. From a business standpoint, they're going to realize that the increased revenue, the increased central revenue, the expanded playoffs, the patch decals, the helmet decals, the uniform decals, all of these things that were bandied about during the negotiation as reasons why billionaires are becoming richer and how they should settle and give players more money, according to the players, are not going to change the economics of the game. There is only one thing that changes the economics of a game that dampens lessens payroll disparity. And that is when you put a band around revenue disparity. Take a look at football. Take a look at the difference between Green Bay, Dallas, and the Giants. Take a look at their hard salary cap. Next CBA, you're going to see a big fight. Players are going to want a floor. Owners are going to want a cap in return for that floor. And then players are going to say, I can't fight too hard because we have something that the NFL doesn't have. And I have stood on top of a mountain for 20 years talking about this. And I feel like Simba. I feel like maybe a few people are listening, but not many. Major League Baseball players have it made in the shade. They have guaranteed contracts. When they sign a long-term deal, they get that money no matter how badly they stink, no matter how over the cap, no cap, no matter how over their payroll budget, doesn't matter. No matter how much losing the team is doing, no matter how many teams have to combine to pay the salary of the player, like A-Rod had three teams paying his Texas deal at one point, I think. No matter what the player gets paid. So when Fernando Tatis signed a $340 million contract last year, February of 21, a 14-year $340 million deal, do you know what Fernando Tatis Sr. said to Fernando Tatis Jr.? We're rich. How's your shoulder? Eh, not great. 
Don't tell anyone. You'll pass the physical. The Padres want to make a statement. They're spending money. They're bringing in pitchers galore. They've got Darvish. Yay. They've got Clevenger. Hippie. Hooray. Who else do they have? They have everybody. They've got Hosmer. Can we trade him? God, when they signed Hosmer, they were excited. Will Myers, can we trade him? When they signed Will Myers, everyone was excited. Do you see a pattern? The excitement when you sign players, then the desire to trade them when they're not worth what you're paying them? Do you think the Padres are frantic about Fernando Tatis? Remember Fernando Tatis's shoulder popped out, was hurt, came back? Blake Snell was the other pitcher. That's right. Thank you, Coca. Blake Snell. How's he doing for you, San Diego? So word came out yesterday out of nowhere that the face of baseball, the person that baseball wants to market the most because he is absolutely phenomenal front-facing, he's got life, brother, million-dollar smile, cousin. I cannot believe that hair just came to my mind. Yes, hair. The movie, the play, first time I ever saw someone nude on stage. Beverly D'Angelo from Vacation. Anybody? Hello? Nell Carter? All right. Tatis, it was announced, is going to miss three months of this season because he broke his wrist. And here's the good part. He may have broken it while engaging in a disallowed activity in his contract. When we sign long-term deals with players, we've got provisions in the contract. Here's what you cannot do. Skydiving. Please don't skydive. Conine, no racquetball. D. Gordon, no basketball. Everybody, no motorcycles or ATVs. Well, it turns out that Fernando Tatis may have been on a motorcycle. He may have fallen off the motorcycle. And then he said, I got minor scrapes. I'm good. And then it comes to pass that he actually broke his wrist. So here's the question. What do you do if you're the Padres? Well, we could cancel his contract, get into some serious litigation, remove the guarantee from the contract, void the contract, and put him back into the regular system of arbitration and free agency. Or we could say, it's just a fractured wrist, it'll heal, he'll be fine and we want him on the team. He's the face of our franchise, and we don't want to upset him. So here's how the conversation goes when the phone call comes from the GM to the president. Uh, David, you're gonna want to sit down. What's up? Can I come see you? Yeah, you okay? Sure. Uh, Tatis has a broken wrist. What are you talking about? What do you mean? I just saw him, he looks great. Yeah, but on on the physical that we did, he said his, his wrist was hurting when we brought him in for spring training, and then we took a picture, and there was a line in the x-ray, get me the doctor. So we call it team doctor. How bad? It's broken. He can't, you can't swing on it. Otherwise, you're risking way, way more injury. You got to sit him. How long? It's going to be 12 weeks. Wait, 12. Why can't you tell me in months? Because months sounds worse. How old is your baby? 23 months. You, you mean like almost two years old? People mess around with that in order to make things seem better. He'll miss eight to 12 weeks. That sounds like, all right, he'll be back soon. 
we would always do that, right? That's a good announcement. He'll miss two to three months. Oh, my God, that's half the season. <laughs> so we sit down, and then we call the owner and say, Houston, we got a small problem. We're without Tatis. How long? 80 games? Half the season? Can he come back sooner? Maybe. Should we operate on his soldier in the meantime? What a great idea. He won't do surgery on his soldier. Sur- say that five times. Four, six, nine. He won't have surgery on his shoulder, and we can't make him have surgery. But why don't we just do it now that he's going to be out with the wrist, and he can rehab both, and then we're good. Because we've got 12 more years with this guy. So the Padres met as owners. They consulted both sets of their medical records. And then the fans and the media said, the lockout is to blame. And I want to give you this to please wrap neatly in a bow, put in the back of your mind, and don't ever forget. If you think for one minute that the Padres were not in contact with Tatis during the course of the lockout, and that's the reason why they didn't discover about the wrist, then you just don't understand what's happening in the real world of team ownership and operation. No matter lockout or no lockout, the rules are when you are injured during the offseason, you call your trainer. We can't know. Once we find out that there's an accident, we're going to send someone to the Dominican to check on Tatis if we can't get him to come to the States. That makes sense. We want eyes on the player. To lockout, we're not allowed to do that. Of course you are. There's plenty of people we can send, plenty of ways to get a doctor to see a player during the course of the lockout. We heard all these players say, oh, I had no one paying attention to my rehab. I had no one knowing what I was doing. I have no way to keep track of anything. All the managers were saying, how do I know how people are feeling? There is constant communication even during a lockout, all back-channeled. If Tatis had gotten hurt and admitted he got hurt, the Padres would have acted immediately. So what do I think happened here? I think it's pretty clear. Tatis got hurt and said, ah, I'm good. I'm not going to say anything. It'll be what it'll be. I've got $340 million guaranteed. Am I questioning his desire to win? Eh, maybe. Am I questioning his loyalty to his team? Meh, possibly. Or am I just giving you how things are with most athletes where they would rather not engage with their team during the offseason if they're signed and if they're rich. They'd rather live their lives and then report to their job when it's time to report to their job. Hey, I'm hurt. I'm hurt. I'm okay. I'll get better. So the Padres are in a pickle and the only way to get around it is by understanding it's going to be fully sour. Not half sour, fully sour. That you've got a player who you are married to now, and it's a long-term marriage. You've got a team with underperforming veterans who are overpaid. You've got a pitching staff that was supposed to perform but hasn't. You've got a team that's spending in a division where the Dodgers and Giants are superior Last year, the Dodgers are superior this year, and the possibility of the Giants with their signings Maybe just as good this year. Unlikely, but possible. So you've got Peter Seidler and Ron Fowler, the owners of the Padres, calling up A.J. Preller and saying, all right, are we replacing Tatis? No. 
You don't bring in another shortstop. You don't sign Trevor Story or Carlos Correa. You do a stopgap. He's going to miss three months. And you say everything's going to be fine. And then you hold your breath, you cross your fingers, and you try not to close your eyes and imagine what life will be like in eight years. I've got to wait to see, which is when I say something's going to happen. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Either way, we revisit it. Number one, Fernando Tatis will not ride another motorcycle. I promise you that. Because if he gets caught riding another motorcycle and I am the president of the Padres, I insist on voiding his contract. No matter how bad the PR is, no matter how good he is, we've got to set a record. We've got to let it be known that if you violate terms of your contract, there will be consequences. Otherwise, players will continue to do anything given that their money's guaranteed. But here's another way to see, and I'm sorry, Padres fans. I'm not sorry to you, AJ, but I'm sorry, Padres fans. Here's a way to see. In 2022, it'll be just like 2021, and the San Diego Padres and the face of baseball, Fernando Tatis, will be watching October and not participating. The Padres will not make the playoffs. When we come back, we're going to review Dope Sick, and then we're going to talk about what is going on in Atlanta and why, if you're a fan of the Braves, you should not be despondent at all today. You should be excited at the very real possibility of repeating as World Series champions. We'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you very much for being here. We're here every day. You can find us everywhere on Twitter at David P. Sampson. Instagram, same. Spotify, follow. Apple, rate, review, subscribe. YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson. I'm wearing a jacket. It does not match today, but this was the shirt on the left-hand side and the jacket on the right-hand side of the left-hand column of the closet. So this was the combination today. There you have it. Okay, I want to segue. We've talked about Tyler Skaggs and his untimely death, his overdose on opioids. We talked about the fact that Eric Kay 
the PR person for the Angels is going to jail. We talked about the fact that there are civil suits going on still against the Angels. What we haven't really talked in detail about is the opioid crisis. I watched a miniseries on Hulu called Dope Sick starring Michael Keaton in an incredible performance as a doctor who becomes addicted to opioids after prescribing them. Rosario Dawson from Seven Pounds and Rent plays a important role as a member of the DEA. I want to talk for a minute about this series and why it's so important to watch. There's a family called the Sackler family. The Sackler family run a private pharmaceutical company called Purdue Pharma. And they came up with a pain drug called OxyContin. And their view of this pain drug is that they were going to cure pain around the world because they had found a drug that was going to be prescribed by every doctor, taken by every patient for anything from a hangnail to surgery recovery, and that they found a way to get the FDA to put on a label that this is not addictive. Sort of like the cigarette label that says those are not addictive. Not anymore. This show goes through the Sackler family, digs deep into the Sackler family and explains and shows how they built their company, how they misled the FDA, how they committed fraud crimes against humanity, and how they were the catalyst for the opioid crisis that has consumed our country. Far bigger than the crack epidemic, far greater than the cocaine issues, forget marijuana. Here's what happens when you're on opioids. Your actual brain chemistry changes where you believe that the only way to not feel pain is by taking the drugs. And then you take them when you don't need the pain because you get the high. And your chemistry tells you that that's all you need is to feel high that way. And then you realize if you crush it and snort it or shoot it, that you don't have to wait to dissolve it. And then you realize you can't find it. And then you buy it on the black market, and then you steal from your friends, family, or strangers, and then you either go to jail or die. Meanwhile, the Sackler family sells pills upon pills upon pills. When there's any sign of addiction, their answer is, that's not real addiction, that's pain management. Here's what you should do, take more pills. They have sales people around the world who look good, sound good, smell good, and feel good, and taste good, and they tell you, just write a prescription for OxyContin, and all of your troubles and all of your patients' troubles will disappear. They feed you a line of horse hockey, in the worst sense of the word, all based on fallacies, lies, misdirections that are purposeful. You've got athletes who are addicted famously Rex Chapman. You've got athletes who have recovered, famously Rex Chapman. You have athletes who have died, famously Tyler Skaggs. You've got unnamed people that you'll never hear of who have been affected by the opioid crisis. 70% of deaths from drug overdose are because of opioids. And what exactly are we doing? 
Well, recently you may have read that Purdue Pharma is no longer run by the Sacklers. You may have read that the Sacklers had to pay a $9 billion or a $5 billion penalty. You may have read that the Sacklers settled all civil cases against them by families, doctors, and others who were misled and misdirected. I would like to point out that the Sackler family, who got rich off your addiction, who got rich off your tragedy, and your spending time in prison, they still have all their billions. And the settlement that was made by the government will be paid out over a number of years where their interest income alone on their net worth will do a large part in paying that money. The Sacklers have become persona non grata. They, like many Ponzi schemers, which is far better than what the Sacklers did, had their name on buildings and museums, etc. All of that's been taken down. People have been removed. They don't want to be associated with the Sacklers. Has justice been done? Has behavior been changed? I want to know right now for families who've been impacted by those who've been addicted to opioids, are they going to see a dollar of these settlements? I'm just, I'm just asking. How many of you know someone? How many degrees of separation do we have to play to see someone or know someone impacted by opioid addiction? I would say that every single one of the people listening to this show, the total number of degrees per person is one. Everybody knows somebody who was addicted to opioids. Everybody knows somebody whose life was impacted by opioids, whose life was destroyed by opioids. So I ask you this, what makes you start What makes you start taking opioids is the feeling that it's safe. Well, now we've cured that because now you know it's not. So that means if you're smart, you don't start. But then how come people are still doing it? Because it feels good. So when you take your first opioid and you say it's for pain after surgery, or you get it off the street and say, there's no fentanyl in this, I tested it, so I'm not gonna die right now. Just take one breath. That's all I ask here today. Before you pop the first pill, take one breath and ask yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze? What can I do to make myself feel better today that will not cost me tomorrow? I can give you a list of 10 things if you contact me. There are professionals who can help you stop before you even start. There are professionals who can help you stop if you have started. There are people who have been through it who can help make sure that your brain chemistry can change back or that you can learn to deal with the addiction in a way that will not cost you the two most important things in life, breath and freedom. Everybody needs to watch Dope Sick. Everybody.
I don't even know how to segue now into nothing personal pick of the day. But the Minnesota Timberwolves beat the San Antonio Spurs as we said they would. Carl Anthony Towns scored an NBA season-high 60 points. We're 29-22. Tonight, the Heat are at home versus the Detroit Pistons. The Pistons are getting 13 points, and I believe they will cover. We're taking the Pistons plus 13 versus the Heat. Again, we're 29-22. Okay. I want to finish the show talking about another fan base who seems to feel as though they were owed something. A general manager practically crying. I've almost had crocodile tears when announcing trades too. It's not real. I've had players cry once. He stopped Choi. Cried when we traded him. Not when we traded for him, when we traded him. How come you didn't get my tweet, Coca? It's because it's that many years ago, 18 years ago. We won the World Series in 2003 and then traded Derek Lee, our gold glove Silver slugger first baseman. We couldn't afford to keep him. Traded him to the Cubs. Got back. He sopped Choi. He sopped Choi was amazing in the beginning of 2004, but he was no Derek Lee. The Atlanta Braves won the World Series in 2021, and they got rid of Freddie Freeman, their MVP, the heartbeat of their franchise, the face of their franchise, and they traded for Matt Olson. Matt Olson is better than he sopped Choi. Now, everyone relax, all the Braves fans out there, and all the people in National League East who are all excited, oh my God, maybe the Braves won't repeat. Hear me now, listen to me later. Matt Olson is a better player than Freddie Freeman. Uh-oh, did I just say that? Are you going to give me stats from the past five years that take into account Olson's bad 2020? Do you know that front offices do not include 2020 when they're evaluating players? Do you remember me telling you that? That 2020 doesn't matter? Now you can say we broke our playoff streak if you made the playoffs at 31 and 29, but individual performances by players in 2020 are irrelevant in their evaluation. That is a small sample size of a season. 60 of 162. Anyone can have a good 60 game stretch, either as a player or as a team. All offseason, everyone's wondering, will the Braves bring back Freddie Freeman? What happened? Freddie Freeman wants six years. He's 32 years old. The Braves offered him five years, $160 million. That's over $30 million a year for you, Freddie. And Freddie said, give me that sixth year. And Atlanta correctly said no. Then the lockout ends. Everyone said, hmm. There's all these rumors about Freddie going to the Yankees, Freddie going to the Dodgers, Freddie going to the Rays, Freddie going to the Blue Jays. Freddie now wanted by the Boston Red Sox. Everybody wants Freddie. The Atlanta Braves got together and said, hey, Freddie, are you taking our five-year deal? Freddie said, come on, you're not going six? And Atlanta said, no. Freddie said, well, I may take my talent somewhere else. And the Braves said, no, you love it here. You're from here. No, no, I'm from California. Yeah, I know, but your family's happy here. Your wife's family's near here. Come on, you're going to stay. Let's bring it back. Let's try to repeat for the first time since the Yankees in 98 to 2000. We can do it. We have Acuna coming back. Yeah, I know we don't, we're not going to have Soler. We're not going to have Duval. But come on, Freddie. And then the GM and the president of the Braves got together and said, we got a little problem here. 
I don't know for sure if Freddie's coming back. But I know for sure that the Oakland A's who are tanking are going to trade a first baseman named Matt Olson, who's even better than Freddie. I think we got to try to get him because we can get him for two years, maybe resign him, maybe let him go. But for the next two years, we can build on what we had happen in 2021. Hey, Oakland, we want Matt Olson. Well, so do a lot of other teams, but they're waiting to see where Freddie signs. We're not waiting. We will give you four of our top 16 prospects, three of our top 10. We're going to give you two pitchers and an outfielder. We're going to give you unbelievable top-end players, four of them. And all we want back is two years of Matt Olson, and we're going to pay his full salary this year. We're going to take on all of his money, give you four great players who are under control for six years each. That's 24 years of control for a guy who has two years of control. 24 years of control we're giving you. Do you know that's how teams look at things? Yeah, you're going to say they do all these analytics and they look at all these stats and they go on Spotrack and they figure it all out. Control is a major thing when you are a team like the Oakland A's. Frankly, 25 teams look at it that way. But when you've won the World Series championship and you're trying to repeat, there are moments when you throw caution to the wind. And you know that your fan base will fall in love with Matt Olson. You know that Matt Olson is a gold glove defender like Freddie. You know that he has power and hits for not average like Freddie, but could end up doing that. You know that he is the perfect replacement. And that if Freddie signs somewhere else and then Olson gets traded somewhere else, then you have a real problem. And while you're going to take a hit right now, you're going to have a small, small PR problem. We're going to send out Alex Anthopoulos. And we're going to say, hey, Alex, can you manufacture a little tear? Just say how hard it was and how much you love Freddie. Toughest thing ever in your life, trading for Matt Olson and having to tell Freddie that he's not going to be on the Braves. And then Freddie calls back and says, no, no, I'll take the 5-160. And then the Braves say, no, no, you better get that from the Dodgers. You better get that from someone in the AL East, all of whom need lefty hitters because he can't come home now. And Freddie said, wow, you meant what you said. And Alex said, we told you we weren't going six years. But Freddie said, every team always gives. It was one extra year. We put so much pressure on you from a PR standpoint. So much pressure. And you didn't bend? If you are a fan of the Braves, instead of being upset right now, you should feel the opposite. You should recognize that you have a front office that has a chance for really having sustained winning. Unlike all the other teams who want it, claim they are going to get it. You have a front office who's willing to get rid of a popular player, but you know they're spending the money to bring in a player who is just as good and likely better. And they have payroll left over. They were going to give Freddie $30 million. Guess what? They can get more pitching. If you are a fan of the Braves, you ought to be smiling today in the same way Reds fans and A's fans are frowning. You ought to be smiling at their competence. You ought to be excited to the, the ring ceremony. The flag is going to be raised and the possibility of a repeat champion. But above all, if you are a fan of the Braves, you have to know that the Braves are about business. This is nothing personal.